Our first of two Bible readings this evening is taken from Matthew uh, chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. I'm reading from verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. We have read this before recently, and then we'll move to Mark chapter 8 to continue where we left off this morning. In Matthew chapter 16 and reading from verse 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, that is Christ, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. And move with me to Mark chapter 8, please. Mark chapter 8. And we'll read the concluding verses as we read this morning. And the emphasis and the text for the sermon will be from verses 35 to 37. Those three central verses of this passage. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. Let us briefly call upon the Lord for help in the hearing and in the preaching 
of divine truth this evening. Let us pray. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, that we have this faithful translation also, that we may hear all the words of God revealed unto man. And we thank thee, Lord, that we have heard, therefore, uh, the word of God, the voice of God. And, Lord, there are some solemn words that we have read. And we pray for that help to take them in, to receive them. And we need thy help to do so. By nature, Lord, where there is a word of rebuke, where there is a, a gospel warning, we quite nature, by nature, by fallen nature, flee from thee, as did our forefather Adam. He fled from thy sight until thy word came forth, saying, Adam, where art thou? And Lord, we pray tonight that we may know that calling and drawing power of thy voice and give that help, we pray. Thy word will enter in and do us good. Whether it be for revival, whether it be for restoration, whether it be for conversion. And Lord, thou knowest the great need that I have as a preacher to undertake this solemn task of preaching the gospel of Christ. Lord, grant unto me all that is needed from thy throne of grace. Pour out thy spirit upon me, so that thy word may go forth in power, not in the wisdom or the display of man's wisdom, but, Lord, by thy power and therefore to thy glory. Lord, we beseech thee and pray thee in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In 1989, the Sunday Times, I don't know how well known that publication is, it's um, a UK newspaper, but they published for the first time a thing called the Rich List, the Sunday Times Rich List. And Queen Elizabeth II stood at number one as the richest person, maybe in the world, but certainly in the UK at that point, with an estimated paltry 5.2 billion pounds. And although over the years um, that figure was adjusted as more and more things were made clear that they were owned by the state, so these works of art were not a personal possession. Maybe they had been, but they just changed the name or changed the ownership. It's not clear. The palaces that uh, she used, um, many of them were put under the National Trust uh, and held as the, as the property of the, of the government and the people of the United Kingdom. Uh, so that it comes to the point where just a couple of years ago now, she is, holds the, or held the position of the 372nd richest person in the UK. So that seems to be a great fall, of course, but of course that the figure is 350 million of personal property and possessions. So Her Majesty had great wealth, she certainly had great fame, and, and great status, of course. And those three matters are of great importance to so many in the world. Wealth, fame, and status, status. They have, those three things have great currency in the world. They, they, they are very important. People, people live for them. People even, even die for them. In the world and in the world system, they are important matters. And yet wealth, fame, and status are greatly limited things when it comes to spiritual matters. They're worthless, they're, they're hollow. In fact, they're, they're dangerous as regards spiritual matters. They are, they are of no benefit, worthless, but worthless and dangerous. And why do I say that? Well, none of that wealth that the, Her Majesty had could save her soul. None of it. Not even all of it. And none of her worldwide fame could save her. The fact that she was known and recognized, probably the most recognizable figure throughout the whole world. 
And not even her status as Queen of the United Kingdom and of overseas territories and of the head of the Commonwealth, etc. And no doubt there were all sorts of uh, duchies and dukedoms that she uh, had to her name. Now she, as a sinner, had to come to God, as every sinner has to come to God, and to enter in to the kingdom of God by repentance and faith. There's no difference, there was no difference for Her Majesty than for you or for me. Now there are those that do consider that Her Majesty was a saved lady. They think that there are reports, for example, that her mother and her father, uh, before he was king, because of course he was the second born, her father, and so it was not expected that he would raise, be raised to the throne. And so they had more freedom in their life. And his mother and uh, uh, Her Majesty's mother and father uh, apparently attended uh, gospel meetings of the Plymouth Brethren and, and, and heard the gospel and, and apparently were saved uh, people. And, and they passed that down to their children. And apparently that was blessed to Elizabeth. And it is true that certain of Her Majesty's public speeches, especially at the, round, at the time of Christmas, that there were gospel truths in there and that she has a number of times pointed to Christ as the only redeemer of mankind. And yet if Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was a born-again Christian, if she was, then she would have to say these words with King David, who said in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 5, Although my house be not so with God, Yet he hath made me an ev with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Concept, understanding, make it to grow into the rest of the family. And so then to reiterate what I said, so neither wealth nor fame nor status uh, could save her soul or the souls within her family. These matters could not profit them spiritually, but they could harm them eternally. And that's at the very heart of what the Lord Jesus Christ points to in these verses that we have before us this evening. So what is to your spiritual and your eternal benefit, but also what is for your spiritual and your eternal danger? And they are the two matters that the Lord uh, brings your profit and your loss, you could say. And so with the Lord's gracious help this evening, let us hear the gospel in these verses entitled Eternal Profit and Loss. Eternal Profit and Loss. And we open up uh, verse 35 with the first point, your true motivation. Your true motivation. I read with me what the Lord says in verse 35. He says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. So, so we see two things here. Firstly, there's a spiritual loser that the Lord is speaking of. The spiritual loser, for whosoever will save his life, who desires to save their life, will lose it. There's a declaration of truth. No may or might, but this is what the Lord comes and says. Whoever will attempt to save themselves will ultimately fail. You have no power of your own life. You have no power of your lungs or your heart to even sustain that life. You cannot keep yourself alive indefinitely. But as a sinner, you will die. That's the proof that we're all sinners, that we're all dead. Every cemetery proves the fact that man is sinful. And the soul that sins, it shall die. And you will lose your life because of your sin. And so you cannot keep yourself, you cannot keep yourself, you're, you're alive, you, you have consciousness, consciousness, uh, but you not, cannot keep yourself in health, you cannot keep yourself in life. And as all sin leads to death, death leads to judgment. Because God is a righteous God. And He will not have that a, that a sinner, a rebellious sinner, a hateful sinner, will not be judged. He will be judged. And we read that in our portion of the Scriptures from Matthew, speaking of the Lord's return and the judgment that would take place. 
So you cannot save yourself, you cannot uh, give yourself life, you cannot keep yourself in life, you will die, as is the way of all sinners. So that's the first thing. You cannot, whoever will attempt to save themselves will fail. Uh, and then this other side of this coin is that whoever is determined to continue to live their own life shall lose it. If you continue to live a life surrounded or focused upon your pleasure and your sin and, and your godlessness, you shall lose it. If you keep yourself as the boss of your own life, as the king of your own heart, if you are determined to have, and we can have a number of words that join with the word self, we looked at some this morning, uh, but that we think of this self-determination, self-autonomy, and self-aggrandization. Exalting yourself instead of what the creature should do is to exalt God. And so determined to live their own life, determined not to change, not to repent, to keep you in your sin and sinful ways. And those that live like this, those that live unrepentant, prove that they are lost. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And unless you repent, you likewise will be eternally lost, as the Lord says here. If you, you are the whosoever will save his life, you are determined to save your own life, Jesus says that you will lose it. And who knows better than the Lord of life? Who knows better than the Creator? through whom and by whom all things were created. He knows the heart of man. He knows you because he personally created you in the womb of your mother. He knows your beginning and your end. He has determined it. And so when he says that you, like, that you will be lost if you seek to save your life, to preserve your life, to preserve yourself in your sin and your sinful character and all that you are outside of Jesus Christ, he says this, you will lose your life. So that is the spiritual loser. And contrasted with this is the Christian loser. And I use that word in a different application here. Because the Lord says, But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospel's the same, shall save it. So I can be a fool for Christ? I can be a loser for Christ? Yes. I can be a Christ's servant? Christ's child, I can be all these things. Yes, but in this context, you can be the lo a loser for Christ. Of course, the world thinks that we're a bunch of losers anyway. But in the context of what Christ is saying is a losing of your own life for his sake. You can see where it's linking in with the preaching this morning. Again, there are two sides to that coin in what the Lord says here. The true Christian is willing to give up all those things which are an offense to God. Willing. Those things which are an offense. So life is no longer to be about self. I know what a, what, what, what a struggle that is, but it's a truth and it is a, it is a goal to be aimed for by every... I was going to say self-respecting, but we don't, we don't want to use the word self at the moment. But any true Christian... So it's not about to be self-status and self-importance and self-rule, those, those wicked things that we've just considered. That sinful autonomy is to be repented of. Remember the self-denial from this morning. Such a life is to be thrown away. Such a life is to be consciously and purposely lost. Don't want it anymore. The life of repentance, I mean, thorough, thorough, through and through repentance. And, and an understanding that life is no longer about you, but it's about Christ. It's all about Christ and through and with Christ. There is all that is needed. There is strength where there is weakness. There is grace where there is need. And there is future eternal bliss for the believer. No longer about you, but all about Christ. And so what are your priorities in life then, I may ask? 
Are your priorities in Christ? Is the priority in life, is it you or Christ? Who would be first on the list? Well, if we're going to be honest, it's quite often ourselves. Because it cannot be both. It can't be Christ and us. It can't be equal. There's only one place. No, Christ is to be the priority. And so the true Christian is willing to give up those things that are an offense against God. What's, and so in the sense of losing his life for my sake and the Gospels. But what if we take that literally? Literally taken those that will lose their lives for the Gospel's sake. And there have been many throughout the centuries. Many in the Old Testament church, many in the New Testament church. Lives coming to an end because they are Christians. They're public Christians. They hold on to the truths of the gospel and they will be saved although they forfeit their physical life. So I could mention the Protestant martyrs in England, the Covenanters in Scotland, uh, the Huguenots in, of France, the Christians in China and India of today, the Christians in Muslim countries of today. Such martyrs for Christ such witnesses of Christ's faithfulness and truth up to death have refused to betray Christ, having been threatened with, the, with torture, having been threatened with the removal of their life or someone else's losing their life or losing a loved one's life. Such people, such Christians, were willing to live for Christ and die for Christ. And in so doing, they witnessed in their death to the saving power of Jesus Christ. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. But these people, if they hadn't first lost their life and lost their selfishness and lost their um, self-centered and unchristian life first, they would never have had the grace, they would never have had the power or the strength to lose their physical life for Christ's sake. Few desire to die the death of a martyr. We could say it would be a strange thing if somebody was desirous to die as a martyr. But if the Lord calls for it, if the Lord calls for it, then we believe that He will also give the grace to endure it. That you would know the Lord and the everlasting arms underneath, you would know the Lord holding you and very close within and around you. But if you've never given up your actual life that you live every day for Jesus Christ, when it comes to the, when it comes to the crooks, when it comes to the, the matter of your life being actually threatened and about to remove it, maybe you're to be beheaded by, by the Muslims, would you be able to stand fast if you hadn't practiced it every day anyway? There are false Christians who have, throughout history, shown their true colors. As soon as push came to shove, as soon as, as, soon as their life was on the line physically, that they would recant. story of the French Huguenots on, on the St. Bartholomew's Massacre. Uh, that, that not, not the leader of the Huguenots nationally, uh, but just of, of, of the local uh, uh, group in Paris or so, uh, that as soon as he was threatened with death, that he recanted immediately. And so for centuries after that, we've looked back and we've... Well, what was that man's profession in the first place? We also know from history and from early, the early church history that, that when many Christians were forced to, uh, to make a, a sacrifice of incense uh, on, on the, the pagan altars, we won't go into any more details than that, but they were made to make a sacrifice of incense uh, that, that many refused and that they were killed. But others did so and then regretted it afterwards. But their name as a Christian was, in, was, was, was now become mud. There were many church leaders who refused to have them in the church. So they have, they have betrayed Christ. They have betrayed the gospel. We will not even let them in the building. 
But here's also a truth. They, they may have been real Christians, but weak and foolish. Why? Because they have not exercised the grace of God in saying no to themselves and yes to the Lord in this regard, in losing their own life, their own desires, their own intentions, their own way of doing things, losing that life first, and then they would have been able to lose their physical life, which sounds like a terrible thing, but what it means is you're immediately with the Lord in glory. So your true motivation is how the Lord opens uh, this, uh, this section, verse 35. And verse 36 then brings us to something called worldly gain. Worldly gain, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Just consider what the Lord says. He doesn't say gain a large amount of money or gain this. He, he really takes it to the full extreme. He's saying everything that a human being could, uh, could, could possess on the planet. Just say you were the emperor of the world and you owned everything and everyone. What would it profit you? So he's talking about the things of the world that will neither help you to get into heaven... And nor will they profit you in the, long run, in the long run while you are here on earth. They will do you no good. They, they are dangerous to the soul. And so we go back to something that we mentioned in the introduction. Money. Fame. Status. What about pleasure? Power. Those things, those things of the world, those things that the world looks to, the things that the world desires, the things that are sold to you in the media, sold to you in books, sold to you on the streets, sold to you in, in marketing, all those things that you're told that you need to have, this bit of plastic, this, this, this wealth, this house, this car, this fame, and the obsession with fame these days is ridiculous. But none of those things will help you when it comes to the Day of Judgment which in some ways is the context that the Lord speaks this in. But when the Lord returns, He is not going to come and ask, you filthy, wicked, godless sinner, has hated my Father every day, have refused to keep my commandments, which are good and holy. How much money have you got in the bank account? The last bit He will not say. Because it will do the sinner no good. It does you and me no spiritual good. But as I said, it does more spiritual harm. And if those things are the focus of your life, and they are the focus of most people's lives, then you're focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on dangerous things, deceitful things. Think of the great of the world these days. Think of the, the, the Bill Gates and the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos and maybe even Anthony Fauci. Uh, famous people, people with great power and money. But all of their power, their talent and their fame... All that they have will not buy them one second in heaven, will not pay for one sin. Not one sin paid for. It may be that you do not care for money, or for fame, or for pleasure in the way of the world. And yet for everybody, status and power are very important. Even to those who are relatively poor and unimportant. And if we want to bring it down to the smallest matters, power and status in interpersonal relations. How you get on with people. How people get on with each other. Gossip. Manipulation. Manipulation of others in order to control their thoughts, their, their desires, their words. Putting on a show that other think, people think better than you, of you than you really are. But it's a mere mask. And so in that way, in that sort of interpersonal power play and control and manipulation, I think there's nobody untouched. And even if you have managed to hoodwink everyone on earth, that you've gained the respect of all the world that's around you, because of course we don't, we're not known by 8 billion people, but who, however many people know you and have been hoodwinked and are impressed uh, from the outside and everything that's on the outside, do not think for one second that God is hoodwinked, that God is fooled. For He isn't. 
He sees through the deceit, he sees through the lies, he sees, sees through the hypocrisy, and he says, you will lose your own soul. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels the same shall save it. So the losing of the soul, coming to verse 36, for what shall it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. So what is in the world, what is of the world, is very much against God and against the truth. It is against the gospel. The world has never embraced the gospel. The world can embrace religion. The, the world can embrace all sorts of things that have an appearance of something good and something holy. But it has never, even in times, if we look back to Victorian times, where sort of like 89% of the people went to church, and maybe there was more faith, there was more, there was more belief in the Scriptures in some ways preached or, or generally held to, even though there was a huge difference in, in, in those days. But many would lose their own soul. Many would lose because even the Victorian times had not embraced the gospel. We go back, we're about to the times of the Puritans. Think where the whole of the United Kingdom surely embraced the gospel in such a way. No, it was a minority that were in a power, in, in, were given power by God for a, a few decades. Maybe 20 years at the most. So we consider firstly what your true motivation is. Is it to save your own life, to save your own identity, to save you and, and the way you live, even though you have the name Christian? But rea in reality, you're living your own life and you're doing what pleases you and, 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 and everything that you want to do and, and Christ is actually just a, a label. Or worldly gain, we've considered what the world has to offer and it's, it, it's none of it good for your soul in any case and none of it will pay for your soul. Thirdly then, we come to the truth and we'll see in Mark 8 and verse 37 that you are spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his Soul. What is there to redeem the soul of man then? It's not in the world. And if you intend to keep your life, you'll lose it. So on the top of that, the third thing that we're thinking of then is what do you have to then give in exchange for your soul? And I would say there are two thoughts that are very prominent in that verse. Is firstly, is the value of your soul, and secondly, the value of salvation. So the value of the, your soul, what, what is your soul? Well, your soul is your very personhood. It is who you are. It's not only the essence of who you are, but it's expressed in, in many aspects of your personal identity, of your, of your will and, and of your desires. We, we could say that the conscience is certainly part of the soul. It's this, it's this spiritual aspect of you. Yes, it, it lives and breathes with an active brain and an emotional system, but it is separate from that, although joined to it. But of course, when the body dies, the, the soul is separated from the body and goes back to him who created it. I would say even this far that the soul contains the thoughts and the words, or the words of the thoughts, the personality, your hopes, it's in here. And that's just expressed through the body. And God created your soul in His image. And He created you to love Him and to serve Him for all eternity. And therefore your soul should be of great value to yourself. It's the only one you've got. And it is you. It is you when you close your eyes and go to sleep. I know there are sort of systems and mechanisms in the brain, but really that's your, that's your soul, as it were, alive in, in, in this dream world while the body is asleep. And only when the body is asleep, but as I've mentioned, when the body itself is dead, well, the soul continues to exist, either in hell or in heaven. 
But what is very noticeable about the, the human soul that sins, the fallen soul of fallen man, is that it is blind, it is deaf, and it is foolish to its own value. And that's why so many people will hear the gospel or hear some truth of the gospel and they completely ignore it. The most valuable thing that you have, more valuable than the whole world that the Lord was referring to in the previous verse. Far more valuable to you. It is you. And yet people will play fast and loose with the soul, with the stain upon the soul, and with the judgment that is upon the soul, with the wrath of God that's upon the soul, and the eternal destination of that soul. They will play fast and loose. Why? Sin. The devil. The devil blinds. And the sin stupefies. And then, these, the, then the foolish, blind soul will, will, will consider all sorts of things uh, to distract itself with, with charitable works and, and with religious rituals and rites and whatever else it may do, in the hope that it's doing the soul good. But the soul that sins, it shall die, as Ezekiel says. So that is the... Very, very briefly, and we could have spent a lot more time thinking of the value of your soul, but the second part of what the Lord is speaking of is the value of salvation. Your soul is of a great and eternal value. It will never die. It has an eternal existence when the Lord of glory created it. It is to continue from that moment on. It is of great value. And yet, because that soul belongs to God, he will judge it. He will judge every single living soul, and he will judge righteously, he will judge fairly, and he will judge truly. We are in trouble. Because he knows all crimes, he knows all motives, he knows all lies that have covered those crimes, he knows the sins that have, gone, have, come, have come forth from sin and from another sin, you know, and the lies that cover lies that cover lies to cover that sin. He knows it absolutely all, so he can give that righteous and that fair and that true judgment of your sin. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, let me give that full quote then. Behold, all souls are mine, says God. He owns them, he created them, they're his. All souls are his, and he will reckon with them as he sees fit. He says, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. Every gen from going from generation to generation. Adam couldn't turn around to the Lord and say, well, these my sons, they're my creation. Only my soul is thine. No, every generation going forth. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel speaks the same doctrine as Christ. So what will you give to redeem your soul, your sinful soul? What will you give? What will redeem your soul from its sinfulness and from its guilt and the wrath of God that's upon that guilty and sinful soul? What have you got to give? What have you got to, to, to deliver yourself from the wrath and the judgment to come? Well, what you do have in your world and what you do have in your body cannot save you. What do you have? What do you have? If you think now, you think about your bank balance, your house, you think of your, your talents and your abilities, you think about all these things. What can any of those things do to save your eternal soul? Well, none of them are meant for that. It's like saying, can, can an egg slicer take me to the moon? No, it's meant for slicing eggs. So the things that we have for an earthly life that we have corrupted through sin, none of them were intended to pay for sin or to bring us back into a state of peace with God. So we've got nothing to save your eternal soul, nothing to pay for your sin with, nothing that can wash away your guilt from your soul, nothing that will remove the wrath of, eternal, of the eternal God, nothing to give you forgiveness with God. And therefore, nothing to give you peace with God. Nothing that you have that will cause God to adopt you as his child. 
But you can walk outside with adoption papers all day and every day, and God's signature will still not be on them. Because it doesn't work through paper. It doesn't work through the physical life. It doesn't work through the effort of man. And we could continue. What do you have to deliver you from the power of sin? What do you have to, 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 to deliver you uh, from the, the, the kingdom of Satan? What do you have? Nothing. Nothing. What do you have to bring you into the kingdom of God? Nothing. What do you have then at death? When your body's dead, what do you have to bring your soul to heaven? Nothing. And we could continue. But we have nothing. And anything that you do have, money, works, religion, wishful thinking, what are they going to do? Nothing. And it's because God understands the state of man. It's because Christ knows the heart of man that he can say in verse 37, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer is nothing. Because you have nothing that can redeem your soul. Absolutely bankrupt when it comes to matters of spirituality. Dead in trespasses and sins, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. So a corpse, corpse cannot do much. Fourthly then and finally, having seen your true motivation, worldly gains, spiritually bankrupt, and finally, the riches of Christ. For it is Christ that gives us these warnings, these solemn warnings and truths. So we understand then you have, from the last couple of points, you, you have nothing to redeem your soul with, and you can do nothing to redeem your soul. That's the bad news. And that's the truth. That doesn't flatter human beings. It doesn't encourage them to continue in their humanity. And that's why many people do not like the gospel, because it doesn't make them feel good. Yeah, but it's true, but they don't care about truth. They just want to feel good. But it is the truth. Christ can speak nothing but the truth. And so we've understood then all your attempts to save yourself, to redeem yourself, are sinful, blasphemous, injurious, and they push you further and further into the pit of your own making. And indeed, the gospel teaches us that we are helpless and unable to save ourselves. Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 23 to 27. You may want to turn and read it with me. Mark chapter 10 and verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly, that is, how difficultly, shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It's the same doctrine. Doesn't matter how much, if you have the whole world, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, it's the same doctrine. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. With men, salvation is impossible. Humanity cannot save itself. Humanity does not desire to save itself on God's terms. You cannot. You cannot play any part in the work of salvation. It's not a bit of God and a bit of you and a little bit of cooperation. It must be none of you. Well, that's exactly what the Lord has been teaching already. It must be none of you. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? Th these are the truths. It must be none of you. 
With man it is impossible, and then the Lord says, but with God it is possible. All, it must be all of God. It must be all of God and all of Christ. And so therefore, the doctrines of the world, the philosophies of the world, will direct us to ourselves and to our works and to our ideas and to our religious exercises, but the gospel only points us to Christ. Because we are morally, spiritually bankrupt, there is nothing wherewith we can be saved, but the gospel points us to Jesus Christ, to the riches that are to be found in Him. And so you are to seek salvation on God's terms and in God's way, and that is through Christ and his gospel. And so I'm almost going through the same list again when we consider what can Christ do for your soul? Can Christ save your soul? Yes. Only Christ can save your soul. Only Christ can deliver you from the power of sin and the power of death. Only Christ can translate you from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Only Christ can bring peace between you and God. Only Christ can cause you to be adopted by the Father. Only Christ can remove the wrath of God that's over you and all those other matters that we've touched upon. Only Christ can do these things. Christ is God. And therefore we go to Christ. We don't stay in and, and in and with ourselves. We go to Christ. The question is, how do you to come to Christ for salvation? Well, consider the rich young ruler that we mentioned this morning. Mark 10 and verse 21. And then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. If he was to obey the command of Christ, there would be treasure in heaven. So it's not earthly treasure that he needs. He needs treasure in heaven. He needs the blood of Christ as his treasure in heaven. He needs the grace of God as his treasure in heaven. He needs the Savior, Jesus Christ, as his treasure in heaven. He needs Christ as his high priest that ever liveth to make intercession for him in heaven as his treasure in heaven. Because the treasures of earth will not help your soul, sinner. You need the treasures in heaven. You need to obey the word of Christ. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and as we read this morning, and come take up the cross and follow me. To give up all hope that is to be found in yourself and to find all hope in Jesus Christ. To repent of your sin. To obey the word of Christ. Some people do not obey the word of Christ. Some people say, oh, another time. Some people say, well, God has to do it for me. No, God has done it all when he said it is finished and now he commands you through the preaching of the gospel. That's the point of the Great Commission. That's the point of coming to church and hearing the gospel, that you would hear the command of God and obey it, including the salvation of your own soul. To give up all earthly hope of redemption, just like this rich young ruler who had said that he kept all the commandments from a young man and, and, Christ said, and it says that Christ loved him, beholding him loved him, and, but it wasn't enough. So the keeping of commandments were not enough to save his soul. Of course not because he was a sinner and corrupt and God's wrath was upon him. But to give up all earthly hope, just like this rich young ruler, and to repent of your sin. And he was to repent of his idolatrous greed. All the money that he had, all the hopes that he had in this money, in this, in this silver and gold that he had. And you too are to follow Christ, something that this rich young ruler failed to do at that time. Verse 22 tells us in Mark 10, For he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. But he had great nothing. He was spiritually bankrupt even with the silver and the gold. Is that going to be your reaction this, today, this evening? When you've heard the gospel and you think, well, I've got this and I would like to do this and I want this, and, but none of that will do your soul any good at all. None of it. But it will do more harm. Like the rich young ruler, you're, you're, trusting, in, you're trusting in things that, 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 that can be stolen. You're trusting in things that, that, that the moth can, can eat away, that rust will destroy. As opposed to heavenly riches. Please don't go away grieved like the rich young ruler did. 
grieved because he couldn't see the riches of Christ standing in front of him? Are you in the, uh, this evening sitting down and hearing the riches of Christ preached to you? He departed from Christ and he still had his masses of riches, his gold and his silver. He still had his palaces. He still had all these possessions that he had, but he also had this. He still had his guilt and his sin and he still had God's wrath upon him. Let that not be said about you. So close to following Christ. So close to the gospel this evening. So close to Jesus Christ. And all of his riches, the forgiveness, the peace, and the eternal joy. So close to eternal joy in heaven. And, but you do not repent and you do not believe. I'll say for those who have heard the gospel and reject it, that God's wrath is greater upon you. Because God knows more than anybody of us how great and valuable his son is and the blood of his son is, and the gospel of his son is. Don't reject your greatest need. Don't choose to stay in your sin and under more of God's wrath. Repent and believe the gospel. Behold and take those riches of Christ, which are Christ. May God bless his word to each and every one of us. And may God grant an eternal blessing to your soul. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we do thank thee for thy precious word and for this gospel. Oh, Lord, what we are, we're nothings. We're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to bring to the table, as it were. But, Lord, we give thee thanks and praise for the gospel of Christ, that he has done it all for the riches in Christ for that blessed forgiveness of sins, the peace with God, a home in heaven. O oh Lord, and that strength from the Lord Jesus to live day by day and a million besides. Oh, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be embraced this evening by those that know him not as their Savior. Without, we pray, open hearts lay hold on them that they would embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel to the salvation of souls and that thy people O Lord would be reminded again of their great worthlessness but Christ's great worth that we would look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith Hear thou our prayer and our thanksgiving for thy word. Bless it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.